Hello, I'm Nathaniel, and welcome to the Descent into Illumination. Hello, as always, I am your faithful host, Nathaniel. Um, joining me today on my Descent into Illumination is a good friend of mine, actually. Hey, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Jared, and I will be joining Nathaniel today in our Descent into Illumination. And that's the name of the show, which is a hallmark back to a previous series that we did a long time ago, actually. It, it is. Yeah. Uh, but full circle for anyone who knows what that is. Yeah, look uh, us up on YouTube, Reunion. Oh, so if, if they're even still up there. <laughs> I'm sure they are still up there. That was another day and age, though, for sure. Um, um, that was a much different age between both of us, to say the least. Yeah. Um, no, but, um, we've actually known each other for quite a while, and just like, uh, with Crystal, this is, this episode's really a long time coming. Right. Um, we actually know each other back from our high school days. Yeah, except the weird thing is that we knew each other, but we weren't friends back in high school, and we had, di like, dissenting opinions of each other, like... It's a very political way of wording that, dissenting opinions yeah, of dissenting each other. dissenting opinions, so... Yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, uh, p uh, political talk for basically, we thought each other were assholes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I, I looked at this guy, and I'm like, you know, like, I, I never thought that I'd be friends with him, but then look where life takes you. Well, you and, and, and let's, let's think about this, too, is we were hanging out with two very different friend groups, with a few mutually overall lapping people i was heavily into drugs at this point even though that, i don't know if you really knew that no and i don't think that I was didn't. a common thing but it's just it was, it was part of my personality to say the least and it was a little eccentric to say the least right um <laughs> and then you know i saw you at this time you had very long hair awful and looking you, hair. Uh, and you, you were uh <laughs> just uh, quite reserved and then but like very expressive with your individual group and i'm just like kind of a dick <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. I really, you know, you know in, like, in hindsight, I could see myself as being an asshole. I, and, you know, as in hindsight, I can see myself as, a, you know, a bit of an asshole, too. So it's, you know, it's not like it's an individual thing here. You know, we were, and, but who isn't an asshole back in high school, though, too? Right. And I mean, who didn't have a beaver cut back then? I didn't. I had my Jufro, so. You did. Yeah, you, were, you, was, were, you were already setting a trend. Yeah, I was. I was already, like, I was mastering that curls. You know, I inherited that proudly from my genetics, and I, I rocked it. <laughs> yeah, well, now I have to look back on my high school IDs and look like Shaggy, so. Um, you know. But, yeah, if I look like at my high school IDs, I'm like, Jonah, Jonah Hill, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So a little bit, you know, a little bit of difference, though, um, in between the two. But, you know, and this, again, is, like I said, this is an episode that we've wanted to do since before I've been doing podcasts, really, we've, um, we've, me and Jared here share a long history of trying to, uh, get social narratives out into the zeitgeist. Um, and, you know, this is, this is, you know, not the median we have always selected of doing it. We did a different medians before, and we chose different ways of approaching these topics before, too. Um, whereas this podcast, at least in the interview series, and even, even in my own personal recordings, has been much more of a personal narrative kind of kind of journey into that self-exploration. And that's really what today's episode is going to be. It's going to be Jared's story. You know, I mean, it's, that's, what, that's what today's episode is going to be. Um, and this is going to be the story that I'm actually really excited about sharing because it's not going to be one specifically around one center of trauma or abuse or addiction, like in my story, for instance, how my story, you know, all tangibly comes out of my addiction with methamphetamine and other um, stimulants as well. Um, this is going to be the story of someone just trying to figure out how to live life. And I think that no matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what traumas you've gone through, you still have the traumatic effect of going through life. And that is something that we can all relate to and just trying to figure out who am I? What am I doing here? What do I want to do here? Uh, what do I have to do here? And all, all the effort that went into that. Um, so I am really excited about this. Again, this has been a long time coming. Um, and, you know, I think we should just go ahead and as always dive right in as we do on this podcast. Yeah. And uh, let's start. I believe we want to start around high school. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, going back, kind of like you say, you know, I was just a guy, you know, summer 2013, just graduated from Desert Vista High School. Uh, just like you, and I was someone who was just trying to figure out how to live life, like what, what they wanted to do, where they saw themselves going. And 
Well, let's get a quick snapshot. Where where did you at that moment? You just graduated from high school. Right. It's 2013. Where did you think you were going? Did you think you were prepared for life? Because I remember when I graduated, I thought I knew I knew what life was about. Well, at that point, actually, I had a full ride scholarship, so I thought for sure I knew exactly where I was going. I was like, I'm, go- I'm going to college. I-, I got a scholarship to Arizona State University. I'm going to go four years. You know, I-, I didn't want to live on campus. I never wanted to do that, but I thought I could live at home. I could, you know, maybe work a little bit on the side, but really just mostly go for four years, get my degree. You know, the, the, the stereotypical, like, this is how you should do college kind of thing. That's social narrative, yeah. Yeah, that's social narrative that everyone tells you that that's how you need to do it. I thought that was going to be me. And I also thought for sure that, for whatever reason, looking back and now, I thought I was yeah. going to be an architect. I'll I really did. So kind of backtracking a little bit, when I was younger, um, both of my parents were in real estate walked through model homes, commercial properties, uh, even got to tour on some construction sites a couple times and just seeing the schematics, the planning that goes into it, um, I, it really excited me for a time and I thought for sure that that's something that I would end up doing. So we already have the basis of basically you have these expectations, mm-hmm. you know, you have this preconceived notions um, based off of your life experiences at the time right. where you're like, well, one, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to kick college's ass. It's going to be no problem, essentially. You know, maybe I'll do some work on the side, too, here or there. Um, but I'm, I'm really going to go focus my four years. And then at the same time, I'm going to go get this one very specific thing. Right. And that's not to say there, there was an interest in that thing at that time. You know, you were exactly. still young, trying to figure out what you're interested in. And what you knew was that interest in um, literally building. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of it's in. It's a really, it's a really cool thing when you get into that. I mean, you're still someone who enjoys design and all those T-Rex. We talk about it on a much more macro scale nowadays. Right. But, you know, I think whenever both of us talk about any of our trips to anywhere, we always mention the architecture to each other for a reason, because it's a latent interest. But Or how it, the city's laid out. Yes, urban planning is a really big part of that, yeah. Not yeah. even just, like, physical layout, but what about cultural layout? What's that yes. look like? You yeah, know? yeah. Multiple, multiple layers of this um, design, if you will. Okay, so it's, uh, take me in. Take me back. Yeah, so... At that time, so obviously going right back in summer 2013, have these expectations, still living at home with my parents in Ahwatukee, didn't have a job. Um, At at that point, I I didn't, I I was like trying to get a job, but nothing really was coming my way because I had no experience before that. And you know how difficult that is. Like, you know, if you don't have proven job history before that and not much volunteer history either. There, there's going to be a difficult time getting a job. Well, you're not set up for success. Yeah, you're definitely is, not set up for success. Um, and this is a, a real big indication of you also didn't have necessarily the connections because we see um, oftentimes it's not exactly what you know, but who you know. Right. And this is really a mutual case of um, not really knowing anyone yeah. and uh, not having any experience. So really just kind of, uh, you know, a ship sailing in the wind. Yeah, and going back to that time, I'll tell you, like, it... It sounds depressing, but I really did have no connections outside of maybe a couple friends and my parents and some close friends. Like on that side, like I, I didn't have the friend circle that I have today. I didn't have a support network or the you know coworkers, whether current or former, that I could lean on for advice or direction. So that that was basically where I was at in the summer of 2013. And I knew I was going to be starting a new chapter, too, because my parents actually decided to uproot the family, and we moved to Scottsdale into an apartment. And I started at ASU that fall, and I was doing the architecture major, and, you know, everything looked like it was going the right direction until I got to my first studio class. And I just, I within the first 10 minutes, I got this sinking feeling in my heart that just something didn't feel right. Like, this is just not where I'm supposed to be, like hearing the you know students around me talk about you know what they thought the concept of align meant to them personally and i'm just sitting here thinking to me align is still align like i i didn't i I couldn't see past you know whatever way of thinking that just seemed to come natural for these other future architects and i knew how difficult the program was and i just I, i think at that point i already got my wheels turning to where i was like I know it's just the beginning, but I need to really ask myself if this is really what I want to do before I get in too deep. And, you know, once I took everything into consideration, you know, I just really at that point didn't think it was worth 
the effort for me personally anymore. Like I didn't see the fruits of my labor coming out from, you know, going hardcore in architecture, maybe somehow qualifying in my sophomore year to continue the program, just to have to go through an internship for years. And, you know, the prospects honestly didn't look that good. And let's, let's take a step back real quick again. Tell me about how you've, you know, you're telling about the sinking heart feeling that you had in that very first class. Yes. Um, so there's an indication that you're, you know, well, shit's fucked. I'm not going to do well here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, take me back to what that realization kind of meant to you in the moment. It, I think it's one of the first moments in my life where I truly felt like I'm an adult now and I have to make an adult decision. And this is kind of like I said, it, it, it's something doesn't sit with you right and you feel like you have to make a change. Everyone's been there in college. When you're sitting in a class or you're in a major and you could just tell like, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. And we see a lot of people in our generation today that they they, they struggle with this concept because they think, oh my God, something's wrong with me because I don't like where I'm at right now. But the thing is like life changes, life evolves. And I I went with my gut that day. You know, there there was no, like, like I said, I, I rationalized it a little bit, but there was no, single like rationalization that I could have written a paper about that this is why I'm dropping this studio class and I'm just gonna take design class the rest of the semester and see what happens no I just didn't feel right with me so did you feel any pressure did you feel any pressure to have to continue on this path I did initially but when I explained to my parents and I let them know that you know this is something that just it, it didn't click with me yeah. like I thought it would they were very supportive of it. And especially my mom, she was like, hey, you know what? Um, you've always done really good at math, so why don't you try your hand at stats? And and that's kind of when, if you think about it, I went down a totally different path going into my spring semester. So I finished out the fall with just my other design classes. I did great, um, you know, very introductory stuff though. And at that point I'm like, okay, architecture was a once, didn't work out. Maybe instead of going after something I want, do something that I'm good at, and maybe that will click, and it will be a way that you know I could make a good living for myself, make my family proud. And so I started going down that way. But um, looking back on it, that was also not the best decision for me because um, statistics was just a terrible major for me in general. It was miserable. I I got behind my classes early. I wasn't liking what I was doing. I felt like it was kind of being forced on myself to myself go through uh, this major. So you're talking about there's that kind of external um, pressure right. and at the same time you have this internal lack of motivation interest even you right. know this uh, which creates a you know for uh, a frustrating isolating situation so kind of take me into the emotions of that time. Well the emotions at that time it was it was really probably I could say one of the most traumatic moments like emotionally in my life the roller coaster i had to go through emotions that spring semester so i said i go in and mind you i had been a straight a student through most of high school so classes were never a problem i actually you know i in college is totally different but i kind of went into college with the high school mindset that i can just show up and get a's which is completely wrong like college is a whole different ball game um and obviously i can go more into that later but i fell behind early because it was just something that it didn't interest me enough to go above and beyond to, you know, live, you know, eat and breathe statistics. Like I kind of just was showing up and I noticed myself falling farther and farther behind. So I started to get stressed and carry this burden. And I felt like, oh my God, like I, I, I started to put two and two together that, you know, I had the end of the spring semester coming up in a couple months. And I had to make the grade with a certain number of credits, otherwise I was going to lose my scholarship after the first year. So I was like, basically I have two options. I could either step my game up, get my grades back to where they need to be, and I'll get to keep my scholarship, or if I don't do the grades, or even if I have to withdraw, I, I'm going to have to lose the scholarship, I have to forfeit it, because there's no way I can get it back at that point, just realistically speaking because well, i couldn't i couldn't afford college at the time well you're dealing with the financial stresses of which so many individuals go through with college is like and now you're not only are you dealing with the financial stresses but you're dealing with the financial stresses at this point with that you know you're in a position of failure right that you know you um, which is a huge social anxiety thing which is just an internal um roller like you said roller coaster where you're putting put it into a situation where you're sacrificing your mental health 
just to be able to uh, move forward, which that is was. not a which looking back obviously wasn't your only option. But at the time, it really feels like I it's a need. I felt like I was trapped. Yeah. To be honest with you, and I mean, I think you put it beautifully with that that at this time I really think I was doing the wrong thing for my mental health and I could have possibly went down a very different path um luckily things worked out in the end but I mean at that point like I I just felt like there was nowhere for me to go but up and I just had to try and I had to bust my butt and mind you at this time I had a job so I was making money but again not enough to get by myself in college so I needed the scholarship so I started really almost working overtime in my mind, you know, making up for what I had done wrong, trying to make amends in my classes and trying to, you know, get my grades up. But ultimately, it, it just wasn't meant to be. And how I knew it wasn't meant to be is one day when I thought that my final for one of my classes or one of my last tests was on a Thursday. Mind you, this is a huge exam. But then on Wednesday, I realized it was actually on Tuesday. So at that point, I just knew, and that was for my uh, algebra, uh, or um, not algebra, it was um, it was a class for calculus for engineers. That's what it was. Um, and mind you, I, I already had taken this class twice. Like, I had taken it in the fall, failed it. Um, that was the one class I did bad in because I just, again, wasn't motivated to do math. And somehow I thought, you know... Calculus for engineers will just naturally come to me. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, let me just try it again, and you know, maybe now that I'm doing stats, I'll go all in. And I was doing okay that time in calculus for engineers, but I missed that one test, and I knew the writing was on the wall for that class. I, I, I tried to come up with some creative solution, but there's nothing I could do at that point. Like I was going to well, get a zero. And I find it, you know, mildly hilarious that you have that textbook example of you, you literally mixed up your final days. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's s- how stressed out I was. Yeah, exactly. That you you're literally in such a uh, and you know this isn't something to laugh about because this is a serious thing. You were so stressed that you literally um, missed your days. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is that classic Hollywood example of I thought it was you know oh I thought the final was this and I didn't know it was actually that other day. Because um, my rationale was why would they why would she have a final exam or like a big exam on a Tuesday? I thought for sure on Thursday because it's more towards the end of the week. But surely enough, I, I misremembered. That was a time where I just, my mem- my own memory under the pressure that I was feeling at that moment failed me. Yeah, it alters your sense of reality in a lot of ways. That's what, you know, toxic stress as you're experiencing in this situation does to you. It alters your perception of reality um, in, ma- in many ways that we don't understand, you know. And this is just, yeah. one, this is just one example of that. Very true. Um, and that's and just for anyone who's wondering why there's a final on Tuesday. That's just how college is, you know. <laughs> to be completely honest with you, it's just like, oh, the finals this day. Like, okay, cool. I'll show up or not show up, you know. Yeah, if the professor says the finals on Sunday, you just gotta go with it. Well, we've had finals on Sunday. Yeah, we had a class where uh, a finals on Sunday. True. Um, okay, so we we failed the final. We, we get that zero. What's what's going on? So, like I said, at that point, I knew the writing was on the wall for that class, and. I, I had some other classes that I also didn't like. One of them in particular was actually a Java programming class, which don't ask me why a Java programming class is required for a statistician, but apparently um, you know, that was a requirement and um, for at least the technology side and whatnot. But that was another class I just didn't gel with. I, I, I didn't get it. I, I wasn't really picking up on it. I'm like, programming, I could just tell right away, this is not my thing either. And it was actually, I was doing worse than any of my other classes. But I started to make amends up to that point, and I remember we had this huge final project we had to do, and I was so stressed about it. It's probably part of the reason why I missed that final exam in my other calculus class, because I was just so cooped up in it. And um, honestly, like I got to the point where once I failed that final, I I was already like dreading doing this project, but I was like, this, like, at this point, what's the point? Like, I, I checked all my avenues, and all of them led to losing the scholarship. So, it was one day, I came home from school, and basically when I had that revelation, mind you, the semester is literally ending in two weeks. I was two weeks away from getting away, you know, scot-free and being fine, but I had to tell my mom that this was it. Like, I, I had to withdraw. Like, it was the only thing, it was the best option I could do, because if I went through the classes, 
I wouldn't keep the Scarship anyways because the GPA would be too low. And if I let these classes go through, it's going to kill my GPA for the future. Well, well, it's a really important thing, and I, I, I really like to emphasize a point you just made, is you just did an example of harm reduction. Um, you, you gave yourself an opportunity in the future, which mm -hmm. is when you are leading towards these moments of failure. Right. Um, which is what they are. They are, and we, because you know, it's what humans do. We fail a lot. Mm -hmm. um, in do. these moments of challenges, and we should ensure about that. Um, but what you can do is you can do your best to create a soft landing and to give yourself an opportunity tomorrow. Um, right. And this is something that I, I, I counseled a lot when I was talking to students who were um, who would relapse um, at school and drop out of school. I was like, well, make sure you get your withdrawals and your medical withdrawal and everything like that because of this, so you can be able to go back one day in case you decide to go back one day. But this is a good example of that, where you just did a complete course withdrawal um, which is what you can do up until I believe like the day before finals or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's um, a godsend. I'll tell you that. Yeah, now. and you 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 had that realization um, that, you, that you were you were deposed, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and that's a, it's, it's a difficult thing. And you actually had to, I mean, having that conversation with someone who had these expectations for you, you know, as loving as they could be, is uh, terrifying. It, it was, and I'll tell you, like that was the moment in life where. I could say I was truly broken down, emotionally, physically, mentally. Um, I am so thankful that at that moment, with everything else going on, I, I at least had the wherewithal to say, hey, I'm gonna give myself up now, but I'm giving myself a chance in the future. I'm glad I had that awareness. But when I had to have that conversation with my mom, like, I was just, I was a mess. I was in all tears. Just, I, I thought, Honestly, it was over because my parents had been struggling for years and I'm like I know that there's no way they could pay for me to go to school and I'm not gonna be able to afford it on my own like I, I at that point there was no clear path for me to get back to school and I hadn't done all my research either but that was just that was an entirely new chapter in my life when I had to hit the reset button look at myself and say and what now what, what's next? What am I going to do to pick myself up from this failure? Because, you know, I was so broken down, but yet I didn't give up. You know, like, my, my parents lifted me up pretty well, but even, you know, having that conversation with yourself, you know... Well, it's the value of having a support network. Yeah, You know, exactly. that's why, you know, it's luckily that you came from a, a privilege and that you're able to have a good support network and everything like that and family that was able to at least care for your human needs at that moment. Um, which is something to be grateful for, very much grateful for. But like you said, you, you, you were like, okay, what's the next thing? Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I was a mess for a while, and, uh, you know, especially that day, like, I just, I thought I was a complete failure, and luckily, I well, had is, the eyes on the prize still. Well, and this is a moment um, in your life where um, you... Um, you're externalizing your value based off of life events. You know, where you said that you, you, you consider yourself a failure, whereas you failed in one instance in life where you did, you, you fucked up school, mm -hmm. um, which is okay. A lot of people do. I did myself. I'm very vocal about that. I made it to my first week of classes and that was it, my first time in college. Um, but a really big point to illustrate is that even if you fail at something in life, that doesn't change your work life. That you're still able, that you're still worth a hell of a lot more than you give yourself credit for. I mean, even if you do still have your eyes looking forward in that moment of despair and everything like that, um, you know, it's easy to let your shadows consume you and everything like that, but it, it doesn't change the fact that you're still a human and you're still worth it. No, it, it doesn't at all. And I think that is the point when I started to kind of rebuild myself and I started to look at the big picture and say, well, you know what? I, it, it may be a long shot for me to get a scholarship at this point. It may be a long shot for my parents to be able to help me pay for college because I know that they're going through their own um, stuff and trying to build themselves up. And I, I, I didn't want to burden them anymore than I already was. I was already living with them. You know, they, my parents are rebuilding. I am now in a process of rebuilding. I wanted to see what I could do for myself. And that was when the light bulb kind of went off for me. Um, you see, the previous November, I actually started my first job. I finally got a job after sending out tons of applications and not hearing back on anything whatsoever. Like, I, I was kind of getting discouraged from that. Um, 
and then I actually heard back from Adidas uh, at the Premium Outlet Mall, and I had an opportunity to interview there for a seasonal position. So I was like, okay, like let me see what this is all about. You know, at the time we were still living in Scottsdale back in the fall, but um, I got the job. I made it through the Black Friday, all that stuff. I worked my butt off because I'm like, hey, I want to have a consistent job at least on the side. And this is before, you know, obviously everything happened with the scholarship and whatnot. But luckily, I I was kept on uh, very fortunately that one of my good friends now, David, who was a manager at the time, really vouched for me. And um, obviously, he, he's the one who hired me to begin with. And I can't thank him enough for giving me that opportunity. Um, but then it all started to work out because we moved to Tempe. So not only was I closer to ASU, but then even after my scholarship went away, I was really close to work. I was only 10 minutes away from work. And I started to realize that, you know, I could really make amends if I just start working towards an actual career. So I started to obviously make myself determined to grow in this place, to see how far I could go, how much I could achieve, and I, I even made it clear right from that beginning, I'm like, hey, you know, I want to do whatever it takes to get to manager, and at the time, people were kind of like, oh, oh, you know, that's that's funny kind of thing, but, you know, I, I guess here's something that you could do, but um, I, I really was determined, and uh, David and a couple other people uh, at that store took me under their wing, and I worked my way up to uh, supervisor. And I even worked my way up to a manager, and I started to appreciate the value of positive management in business and what effect that could have on people and transforming a culture. And at that moment, it just all started to click again. Like I, I got that feeling again that I felt when I went to college the first time, where I felt like this could be something I could study. It would not only, you know, pay the bills, give me a career, but it'd be something I'd be passionate about. And then second having a job here and working my way up, this is a way I could get back to school. I, I realized that, you know, the avenue doesn't have to be go back to ASU for four years. I could go to community college to get my prereqs out of the way, any class that would transfer, and then I could go back to ASU and finish up like two years. And, and on that trajectory, I'm like, I could make this work. I just have to really work towards it. Well, um, let's take uh, let's take a step back real quick then, and just to really talk about that remotivation of refining yourself. You know, you touched on some really important things, and I want you to talk about what was you know just showing up. That's what that's what, you, what you talked about first when you started working this uh, new job opportunity at Adidas. Mm -hmm. um, just showing up. I and mean, what, 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 tell me about that. What's the value of that? The value of it is that showing up shows people that you care, not just about your job not just about the business but the people that you work with like I really learned the true value of leadership and most importantly teamwork when I worked in that job like getting to connect with other people and you know giving other people someone that they could lean on and while having that reciprocal relationship where you can kind of lean on each other and work towards a common goal, which should obviously be like, you know, whether it's closing the store, opening the store, making a sale, whatever. And learning the true value of teamwork went a long way in my life towards realizing that one person alone doesn't have to take that burden. Um, no. So if you, if you don't show up to your job, you're letting your team down, yeah. essentially. You're letting your family down. And not only that, though, but what is just showing up meant for you? It meant, for me, it, it, it meant the world, like an opportunity. It meant that I'm giving myself a chance to where I can advance myself in my career and my life. Like, there were plenty of times where I didn't want to show up to work just because, like, maybe I had something going on in my personal life or I just didn't feel like getting up at 5 in the morning or, you know, staying late at night. But I realized that every day I show up, I'm getting one day closer to my end goal to what I really want in life. So you really are using a trajectory mode to create intrinsic motivation for yourself. Exactly. And that that's what all of this point in my life was. Like, intrinsically, there were some things I liked about my job. There were some things I, I liked about the people that I was around, all that stuff. But there were moments in my career where I realized, I addressed myself, I'm like, this is temporary. This is basically where I'm going to be until I get to the next place I want to be. And then when I get that goal, I'm like, what's next? Like that, I think that's been really the key build or 
the key to rebuilding myself is I've always asked myself in every frame of reference what's next and using that as intrinsic motivation to get to where I want to go after that. Because if you get content with where you're at, you're not going to go anywhere. So that's the key. You have to always be looking ahead. You always have to be guessing what what is the next opportunity for me? How can I advance myself in a positive way? Obviously not at the expense of others. Um, I don't condone that at all, but you have to think like, what can I do in a positive light that's going to advance myself and the people around me? And that's always what I work towards. All right, so we find yourself finding this motivation just one show up and be, well, and finding gratitude for just having a job, first of all, as you talked about. Um, and you started figuring out kind of your passions, like you said. So tell me about what, what, where was that and you realized, well, I like this or I like the X or whatever that X is. And what is that X? Right, well, I think just being in the retail environment and getting to work with so many different like managers, associates, whatnot, at this point where obviously because I'm, I'm taking orders from some of these managers and I'm I'm working directly with some of these other associates so not only am I seeing the true value of teamwork because there's people that work better as part of the team people that didn't work so good as part of the team uh, versus managers which I thought some had great leadership qualities and others not so great leadership qualities so a good standard retail environment a good standard retail environment yes so i at this point i was like foiling the good and the bad and that's when i started to make those connections of how much better i felt as a team member when you know i had a manager that had my back that showed these positive qualities when i had teammates that were willing to pick me up and willing to go to bat for me versus the ones that weren't or versus the managers that just stay in the office all the time so it's it's really for me it started to give me that intrinsic passion that's like I always want to make a big difference in the world I didn't know how I want to do it but at this point I was like maybe business would be the avenue I could go down because if I get my degree in say management then I can go in any business environment and you're all working in the same you know general space you're working with people you're, you're leading a team, you're you're in the trenches with your team, and that, that's something I got really passionate about, like, I don't care where it is, I don't care if it's in the healthcare industry, technology, entertainment, uh, consulting, uh, staffing, you know, retail, what, whatever you name it, supply chain, like, I just wanted to ultimately be in an environment where I could have a positive impact on other people in their lives, because a lot of us, we feel like we're slaves to our jobs, and you know, I, I wanted to always have a positive difference on somebody and, you know, help them advance in their career and almost be like that coach, that mentor. And that's what really made me passionate about going down that path and helped me kind of formulate my path back to school and in my career at the same time. And this is really taking the deviation um, in your standard life expectations and really finding out what really does find your motivation. And that's a really important thing to highlight here. Um, is that, you know, it's through those unexpected left turns they can really find what is your driving force. Um, and that it is those bumps and roads in life that where um, you do fail. Because in order to get to a point where you're able to find your success, it does intrinsically motivate you. Mm-hmm. You had to go through a pretty hard failure. You um, where you had to find an emotional, you, you, you essentially, you said you hit your lowest emotional point um, through exterior pressures and everything like that, um, and interior um, difficulties that you're going through as well, um, on this business side, uh, and this financial side, and all these different things. And um, you did, you had luckily a, a, a loving home to go to, but you had this, um, uh, you couldn't rely on your family because of their financial situation too. Because they had financial burdens of their own, so you kind of um, you didn't have that you get out of jail free card that monetary wealth can sometimes get you. You had to go work as a part time store associate at uh, Adidas just to get by. Yeah, I did, and and somehow that ended up awakening me in a way. Like it, especially once I got to a point where I had a good foundation of people that I could rely on and were, were friends with, and I felt like I was truly part of a team. And it really started to bring out my passions. And I think that's really important for you. It keeps using that word team. But I want to really emphasize here that, you know, you also knew that you weren't satisfied and happy just being a part-time sales associate at a retail store. And your team just necessarily isn't um, the people you worked with. 
you really started forming your team in your personal life too, as you like yeah. to describe it. I like to describe it as you know social support, but right. um, we all have our different lingos, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Let's start. Let's get into that personal element a little bit. You know, this is a real big time for transformation in you, not just in your um, uh, professional life and really figuring out what you want, but you're having a lot of um, refigure out who your social structures are because. You weren't exactly someone who had, you know, a, a thriving social network at this time. No, not by any means. Um, like I said, at the time when I first, first started at Adidas, my my social circle looked exactly the same as it did when I left high school. It was, it was pretty barren. Like I said, besides a couple connections I had from high school, it, there really wasn't that much that was going for me. Um, and it was the job there that really changed everything for me because not only did I have a team at work but I started to become friends with these people outside of work and that start that kind of kick-started my brand new social circle my social awakenings I like to refer to because up until that point I was still kind of you know shy and reserved and you know didn't really know how to go out and just form relationships with people how, how to become friends with even like you know the people I work with or become friends with girls or you know, find new friends. Like I just didn't know any of these things or haven't really had that much experience in a long time. Um, but fortunately, like I said, we all became really close to my job and we started hanging out and we had a lot of fun times. You know, we did a lot of cool things together. You know, we'd go out and do events. We would sometimes go out for dinner, you know, have like throw house parties for each other's birthdays. And, I, I kind of started to let my guard down, you know, I started to realize that, wow, this is actually really nice, you know, knowing people and be able to just text somebody or, you know, talk on the phone with someone that cares. And, you know, these are some connections that I, I built that, you know, while all of them might not last a lifetime at that moment, they were really meaningful, powerful and true. And they helped me get through a difficult time because I, I finally felt like not only do I have a job now, where I'm trying to become manager, but despite all that that's going on, all that those other distractions, I've got friends that I could, you know, rely on and trust. What do you think was the hardest part about forming friends for you? For me, I think it was just like I the the initial connection was probably the hardest part. Like there's like it just felt so unnatural for me to just walk up to somebody and start a conversation and then just become their friend. Hi, I'm Jared. Be my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so unnatural. But I think what helped me is I was thrown into an environment where I was basically instructed by my leads to be like, hey, I want you to go out and talk to people. And I'm like, what? You want me to? <laughs> At first, I was like, you want me to do what? You want me to? sell shoes and would talk to people and it's like oh yeah even if you don't sell anything you know just be a greeter talk to people at the cash register and i was like man like i uh, between you and me and the thing at first i was like i, I don't know about this like I, I i don't really know how I, I feel about that but that started to get me out of my shell and comfortable enough to where i started to do the same techniques i would use to talk to customers with other people and now i started to break down these walls and barriers and you know, only about five or six months in, I, I knew everyone my job pretty well because I was able to, you know, talk to them in a way that they felt this genuine connection with me. And that, that was always important for me is I wanted it to feel genuine. I never wanted to walk up to a customer or someone I work with and, you know, be like, hi, my name is Jared and I think no, you I should do this you. because of this or, you know, whatever. Like, I... I just talk to them about things that interested them or so you things took, that we can connect on. So you took something that was scary to you, you know, in a lot of different ways, and you turned that part of your internal or intrinsic motivation plan. Um, yeah. You really started challenging yourself to um, uh, come out of your uh, shell for it, literally. Um, and I think that one of the reasons, uh, and speak to this a little bit too, please, um, why you're doing this is because you were at that moment, you were ready for something new. I was ready for something. You, because you, you, you really did uh, take that um, setback of, you know, what happened with your college experience, really on the shoulder. I did. Um, and you know, you really, you really took it there hard. Um, and so you were finally at a point where you kind of, and this is a really good indication here, people, where we talk about your your low can be fucking anything. It doesn't have to be, you know, strung out on 
park bench, like I, you know, like in my cases and everything like that. It can uh, it can be any any life event that really um, creates that internal division, right? Um, where you're just done, mm-hmm. where you're just done, just done. Um, and you find so you take this moment and you're finding all these different ways to just kind of really, un, not even really, but to truly rediscover and reinvent and reevolve your who you are. Yeah. Um, which is what you have to do. It's any, as any program of recovery, you know, you're just doing this in your own personal life without. Luckily, you know, you didn't, you know, become an alcoholic or anything like that. Um, thankfully, yeah, thankfully, there, there were some opportunities. There was but... some opportunities, <laughs> as we know. But it, it was luckily you, didn't, you had that good social support network, and you were able to kind of hold your check and everything like that, and have these things. So, the hardest thing for you, um, yeah, was I'll be waiting. Making that connection. And I feel like that really relates to also figuring out what your passion was. And then really once you finally started figuring out those connections and those passions, you really started to walk forward. Right. Now, you know, so we're, we're in, or you're hired, you're, you're hired part-time at Adidas. It's past seasonal work. Um, you're starting to make some friends there and everything like this. You're growing some contentment. You're finding some more peace. You're more excited in life. Now, obviously you're still driven and you're still moving mm-hmm. forward. But what was that reprieve like for you? It was great. I mean, if I can be completely honest with you, it was not actually the job, but when I started to make these friends that I truly felt not only connected, but I actually started to enjoy life again. Like, not saying that I ever hated my life and hated myself to the point where I just wanted to give up, but, you know, there were some points where I was ashamed, I was frustrated, I felt like I could do better. And there was depression symptoms in there, too, you know? You were were, um, at a low, for sure. Um, right. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. You go through moments in life, you show you, you know, you you, you you flunked out of college. It's the ebbs you know? and flows, yeah, exactly. right? Exactly. You didn't have exactly, yeah, just a strong with your family, but you didn't have a social network outside of that. And I felt you pretty know? lonely. I yeah. think, I, I think there's different types of depression. At that point, I felt like depression from being lonely and from not feeling fulfilled. And I started to feel fulfilled in my job, and I started to feel, you know, happier when I was more connected. I wasn't as lonely as I used to be. And mind you, this is what I call the equivalent of my college experience. Because I didn't get to go like some people to college, stay on campus, you know, go to parties, hang out. I did not have the typical college experience by any means. But at this point in my life was about as typical of college as it gets in terms of my social network. Like it just it exploded. Like I said, like I, I had become friends with so many people from my job and we all hung out together and we had we threw parties together like college parties so it, it kind of helped me feel like i was fitting in it helped me for my age group feel like i was included and in which is huge should have been going yeah, on which is what makes a normal healthy human is feeling socially included by those you're driving um uh social connectivity from so to really have that you know is this is just something that you did not have for um, long time. Long time. Well, really, you know, even going back to your high school experience, it wasn't something that you were active in your childhood, really. You no. really kind of had that solitary um, bravado for um, most of your uh, childhood and adult life, you know, not now, well, no longer, but up until this point, adult life. So right. this is this is new. You're like, people, humans, I know. <laughs> what actual, up? Actual humans. Yeah. Like, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> That was essentially me the first three months I was, like, talking to people. I'm like, what What do I do? Like, what is, what do people do when they, like, hang out like this? Like, do, outside of, like, my close friends at the time. Do, 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 do I, do I say I love you? Do I, do I, do I hug you goodbye? <laughs> do I, do, do, do we shake hands? Just, do we keep this business professional? <laughs> you know, there were the, 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 it's funny, but there were those moments where, it's, like, it's, especially that's why it's, when it's I fun had, to laugh about now, because that's a real thought. Especially when, for the first time, I had a, a, a actual group of friends of mine that were female. I'm like, well, I'm not, you know, romantically in a relationship with them, but I'm in a friendship with them, so do we hug? Like, you know, what, what, what kind of things do we go do? Like, those were all learning lessons for me. Well, and it's the craziest thing to learn that uh, I think that this is part of growing up for any one that identifies as any cis, cis sex or anything like that, is that the opposite gender, uh, they're just humans too. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just people too, and you just kind of, you know, you're not something to be uh, fetishized or romanticized and put on a pedestal, but you just, 
you know, when you're having a, a friend of the opposite gender, you just treat them as another human. Bingo. Yeah, that's that's, that's the biggest. But thing it's I it's it's something that's not taught by our society. No, not at it's all. It's not something that's not taught by our social structures even. And you know, it's up. That's why it's up to men to really challenge the patriarchy and not allow like locker room talk in their personal lives and stuff like that. Um, and to make sure, you know, that's why it's on. You no, know, it's it's a really big thing. You know, and especially um, um, to just treat other humans like humans. You know, it's such a fucking crazy concept it's such a crazy concept that we just can't seem to get in our society that you just humans are humans that do human things whether they're good or bad that's just what humans do um and to have that realization of i have friends now um in your case that are uh, cis female um and that and you're just like how do i socially interact with these and without you know Making it weird. Yeah, with and you know, and that's I mean, a comfortable thing because you can very when you don't know what you're doing socially interacting wise, it's pretty weird to do those things. Right. Um, and then to learn like, oh, you just make sure you understand what the healthy boundaries are, like any other human. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a pretty yeah. cool thing right there. It, it, it was a very cool thing, and I'll, I'll tell you, like that was one of the biggest lessons that I got to learn. Because I mean, when I was a young kid, I had a lot of friends that were girls as well. But obviously, when you're an adult, it's a lot different because well, there's different gone social puberty, expectations. And you're like, you know, you've gone through puberty, social expectations, there's um, all these different things, and you're like. Uh, I don't want a romantic relationship with you, but I want to be your friend. Right. Like, How I, do I navigate that? Exactly. Like, I mean, there were so many people at the time that, like, even people, own people I work with that were in the same friend circle would you would comment about, you know, how attractive some of these girls were that are hanging out with, and they would ask, like, what I thought of them. I'm like, well, they're just my friend. Like, I, I think they're attractive, too, but I don't want to be romantically involved with them in any way. Like, that's not how I see them. Well, and there's there's a way you can talk about someone um, that's like when you have those conversations that one is challenges those unhealthy social to be like, oh, I want to do X. I want these do these inappropriate things to her. Or you can be like, no, I just think she's a gorgeous human being. And I for, again, at least in this example of uh, talking about with another coworker talking to you about one of your female friends. You know, you don't have to over-sexualize them. You don't have to make them about their bodies. Like, oh, they're just a beautiful person and I enjoy hanging out with them. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, and that that's what it was. I mean, obviously sometimes other people would, would joke about things, but I, I took it with stride, you know, and there were, there were so many fun times I had with, you know, uh, both guys and girls that I worked with at that time that I formed that friend circle. And I'll, I'll tell you, at that point was the moment, or at least the time in my life, where I could say life was kind of like a party for me. You know, just getting to really feel that euphoria of having those new connections and, you know, even kind of like we just talked about, shattering those expectations of saying, you know, if you hang out with somebody that's such and such gender acts a certain way that there's this expectation that goes along with it. Like, no, they could just be a beautiful human being that I'd like to spend time with. And, yeah. and because I viewed it that way, they're still my life like there's still connections i have to stay whereas if i tried to you know make it anything different i don't think i would have still had those connections so i'm very grateful that you know i learned that lesson and i'm even you know more grateful that i took something that was a challenge in talking to people and turned it into a life skill on the job and that was something that helped me get to where i am today because not too long after I had the whole college experience with a lot of my coworkers and uh, friend circle, it uh, it was honestly my close friend circle that started to grow next. Uh, mind you, up to this point, I only had like two friends that I could consider close friends that I knew from high school. Um, but then I started to pick up a couple more, one of which was uh, Skyler, actually, who I work with at Adidas. He was the manager. I remember he came on the scene and first day we worked together, you know, I didn't know what to think of him, but we just started talking about video games and I'm like, okay, I, I, I can tell you one thing. I like this guy already because, you know, we, we had a nice mutual conversation. Mutual interest and everything like that. You, that's what forms social relationships is mutual interest. Exactly. Or and mutual hatred. That's another conversation. Well, the mutual hatred was when he kicked my ass on the sales floor for the first time and I thought... I, this is the moment where I'm like, I'm dethroned. Like, he's officially taken my place here. But, um, no, I mean, I, I, I love the guy. I still do to this day. Um, and then after that, like, you know, you could just tell that there's something different with who you're hanging out with. Like, I could tell that, you know, him and I were going to be really good friends, like best friends. Um, and then only a couple months after that is actually when we connected via a mutual friend. Well, you and the audience, yes. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm referring to you and me, Nathaniel. Yeah, yes. I know, I know, I know. I, I know but it I could know. be it could be anyone in the audience. Who knows? I know, I know. I don't. I just don't try to do my own one. But yes, yeah. this is exactly. Yeah, we met through a, a mutual friend of ours. Yes, is correct. Yeah, we met met through a mutual friend, um, and you know, we we kind of hit it off really quickly. Like you know, deep intellectual conversations. You know, we started we exchanged numbers. We just started hanging out, and then. I recruited you to Adidas. You hated it, but you met Skyler and well, you, you got, all started. Yeah, out. yeah, you got me a job at Adidas. You got me. Well, this is because okay. So for in uh, context, this was within my first year of recovery. I had, uh, yeah, it wasn't my first year of recovery, wasn't it? It was mm-hmm. like uh, you were almost a year. I, I was think. almost You're a like year. Four yeah. months shy of a year. Yeah, I was. I was right underneath my year of sobriety, and we met. I think we did. We meet in Oregano's because mm-hmm. I felt like it was. Yeah, we did meet in Oregano's. You look different too. Yeah, I did. I looked a lot different. Let yeah, me tell did. you. Yeah, I was, I've gone through a transition or two since then. Um, we met right when our paths were like, or our paths collided right when we were both go, undergoing yeah, transitions. these intersectional moments in our life. Yeah, these liminal, yes. liminal experiences. Because yeah. I, I just cut my hair, too, yeah. at that point, mind you. I mean, it really does, you know, look, feeling back on it really does feel like a liminal experience. You know, that entire time period of life, it just doesn't almost seem real with just the idiocracy of our time being. Right. Um, and <laughs> that was right after that. was Alicia, too. Oh, that was a fun time. Um, yeah, we don't need to talk about that on podcast. <laughs> Um, that's a, that's another conversation, but, uh, yeah, no, you did. And you got me out of, uh, one, I had just, I was very unhappy at where I was working, um, hour wise. And then you were giving me to get me into a new position. So I was very grateful for that. And, you know, and, um, you use yeah, that I as a springboard to get somewhere else. Yeah, I did. I did not, <laughs> I did not do good in retail. It was my second time doing retail too, but I really made some really healthy social connections there with you and uh, Skylar, for instance, and, you know, to a lesser extent, David and everything mm-hmm. like that. And a few other individuals there. And you made some um, tips too. And Adidas? Oh, like, <laughs> did I make? Oh yeah. I remember that, yeah, that yeah, the one first person. time. Yeah. Like left me like a 20 or some shit. <laughs> I'm like, what do I do with this? They're like, well, you just keep. I'm like, oh, do I? Oh, okay. <laughs> Even though we're not supposed to take tips there. I don't know. That was weird. That was weird. It was yeah, weird. That was. That was. That was. I don't well, know. You know what? Tip your shoe, <laughs> connoisseur. <laughs> that's that's the advice of this podcast. I will say to you, I think, since this is kind of t- for a little bit, it's touching on both of us right now. I would have to say, I think the universe had you there at the right time. You obviously you weren't a long term fit there by any means, but I think there was a reason. It was need. I, well, I needed to be there in that moment. It was right before I moved. Yeah, went to Gamage. It was uh, uh, it was a really powerful transition time in my life, um, mm-hmm. to say the least. Um, did I go into the monastery that month? Uh, you did later, I think. Maybe either that. I think it was the next summer. Oh, I went to Israel that summer. Yeah, you did. That's what I did. I went to Israel summer. that summer. Yeah, that was a huge transition point in my life. Um, I got some good tobacco from Israel, too. That was a good time. Um, no, and I, I think that because we're going to start winding today's episode down and everything like that, because while we're on this really big transition subject, I feel like this will be really good. This is going to be, again, another multi-part series, mini-series, the same with, with what's going on the Crystal, too. Um, but I really do think that this is, you know, it really, I think this can be the a final summation for today's episode, is, you know, that kind of argument of divine timing that me and Crystal had in our last episode, too, as well. Um, that we, uh, I'm a, I think that you and me were really on the same page of this is we're real, both big proponents of free will and individual agency and everyone is able to make their own choices. But we do also, we've talked about this many times where, um, the universe will, through your own actions and your own choices, will kind of have you meet the right people at the right time. Um, and have these not preordained events, not fate necessarily, but you'll necessarily go through these experiences that, um, uh, and you will meet the individuals that you're supposed to meet at some point or another. That's why you hear like the narrative that like uh, I loved her and she was amazing, but it just wasn't the right time. Right. You know, you get things like that because uh, exactly. you know some things sometimes they don't line up, and a lot of times they don't line up. But every once in a while, you get into this weird matrixy um, where you know you do kind of have a little, uh, little freedom, you know, to say the least, um, and you're able to meet these experiences, and it's what started our beautiful friendship. It is because we we lined up at the exact right time. I couldn't have asked for oh, you would have hated time. me on drugs, <laughs> and you would have hated me like before, like when I had my long hair. Yeah, when I was on like, drugs, I would have fucking hated you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and when I was like you know shy and not really willing to put myself out there, but I I definitely think it worked out for the best. And um, 
there there was even a point you know I, I think it was monumental for our friendship when uh, the mutual friend we met through basically gave me an ultimatum to choose between either him and his friend who we'd all been hanging out together for some time or you and Skylar and I chose you guys because well, you guys are my brothers. And it's a weird it's a weird thing that we should talk about there too. First of all, I didn't I had no idea about this at this point <laughs> because I thought he was my friend still up until that point. Um but two, you know, that really doesn't indication maybe that's not who you should be driving your social connectivity from. I'm a big believer of uh, loved ones and friends. You will never make you choose. You know, they'll enter, you'll be able to, at least in a healthy relationship, healthy relationship, not necessarily loved ones, but in a healthy relationship with loved ones, friends, platonic, intimate lovers, family, doesn't matter, um, aren't going to make you be like, it's this or that, you know, unless you're infringing upon healthy social boundaries. Um, like, in, you know, it's a little different in my case where my parents are like, yeah, you can't do drugs and live here. I'm like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, at least between, you know, hanging out with people, right? Um, and, you know, that's a real strong indication that, you know, someone wasn't respecting your boundaries. And that was, uh, and that was a very important life choice for you to have that realization where it's like, you know what? Nah, <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to go hang out with these two goofballs. Um, selfishly, I really appreciate it. I, I do enjoy our company quite often, um, to say the least. But, um, you know, it was uh, it's, it sucks. It sucks. And I remember that moment was actually very painful for you. Mm-hmm. It was painful because, I mean, like you said, I had to have the wherewithal to make that decision and realize that the person who is trying to drive us apart is probably not the person I want to keep around in my life because they're basically trying to control who I hang out with, what I do, and I didn't appreciate that at all. And it was something that, you know, I wanted us all to be able to be friends. But when I really looked at the big picture, I always thought about how I felt my happiest around you guys. And I'm like, I I, I can't just let them go. And I, I felt that we would have a lifelong friendship and I really felt that we had the most special times, connection, conversation. Weird shit, yeah. Yeah. It's some weird it's, shit. Yeah, it was fun. We had a lot of fires. Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of hot tub sessions. It was a good time. And I think just looking at everything considered, I'm like I'm like the other two felt like my friends, but you guys felt like my brothers. And when you can draw the line there then you have to realize which way you have to go if someone's giving you a choice. And you just have to go where your heart goes. That there Again, that another theme that's kind of underlying this whole podcast here is that I was a man before that thought everything had to be rationalized. And here I am making all these decisions because it felt right with me emotionally. It's a great, great way to end today's episode is the realization of someone you are so fucking logical and so fucking rational and you've come to this realization where you have to understand that a lot of your decisions in life need to be dictated by your emotions and becoming this complete human being um selfishly i want to be like suck it i make you feel safe and um (laughs) you're most authentic and i appreciate that i it's such an honor i can't thank you enough um for that honor to be in a place in my life where someone can say that about me and uh, another good friend of ours um, that that is that we make you feel your safest and your most authentic self is um, really a treat. You do. You know, it's a gift. It, is, it is a really good gift. And I really appreciate that. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor having you on. We're going to do another episode here, obviously, in the near future. Um, but, you know, I, I try not to have these episodes go too much longer over an hour because like, it's a little, little unruly at that point. No, I completely understand. I, I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. I look forward to joining you again. Yeah, we're uh, only halfway through the story, story, so we still got another episode to come out. We are halfway through the story, just about. Um, and I look forward to joining all of you again and being here with Nathaniel. And uh, again, just thank you so much for letting me tell my story to the world and giving me a, a medium to communicate this and kind of share my life lessons everyone has the everyone should have the ability not many people are afforded it and i'm happy to be able to give that out to a few uh special individuals uh at least and speaking of that you know if you want to share your story you know go ahead and email me at the descent into at gmail.com or message me on twitter at um into the descent um and if you want to share your story we'll figure out a time we'll make it um i'm more than happy to you know it's your story 
you should be able to share it. It's your story. Go whatever, ahead and write it. Whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Be your own author. and Be your own number one. Be your own... Um, I don't, I'm running out of things to say here, so I'm just <laughs> going to hang up. Um, remember, you are loved. You are not alone, and you are worth it. Absolutely. We love you all. Thank you for listening to the Descent into Illumination podcast. Feel free to email me at thedescentinto at gmail.com. Please follow me on Twitter at IntoTheDescent. Thank you very much again for listening. Please remember that you are loved, you are not alone, and that you are worth it.